The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the eighth chapter. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Kelly Fryer tells a great story about one of her first classes in seminary. And she says, It was a beautiful day on campus, and I wanted to be outside playing. Instead, I sat in the amphitheater with my classmates, listening to a lecture about some long-dead theologian. I was bored. And I don't think I was alone. The professor must have known we weren't listening because he suddenly slapped his notebook shut and stopped talking. He wasn't going to waste one more breath on us. But before he left the room, he picked up a piece of chalk and went to the board. He drew a gigantic arrow pointing down, stood back and said, If you understand that, you understand everything you need to know about what it means to be a Christian, who also happens to be Lutheran. And then he left the room. She says, we just sat there staring at it, this enormous stark arrow pointing straight down. And then I thought the most logical thing I could think, given everything that had just happened. He thinks we're going to hell. (laughs) The next time we gathered for class, he began by drawing that same arrow on the board. This time, as he began to speak, he had our full attention. Here's what this means, he said. God always comes down. God always comes down. There is never anything we can ever do to turn that arrow around and make our way up to God. God came down in Jesus, and God still comes down in the bread and wine of communion, in the water at baptism, and in the fellowship of believers. God always comes down. On this Reformation Sunday, Pastor Fryer's story illuminates one of our tradition's greatest gifts, our understanding that we are justified, made right, saved, not by anything we do or decide, but by God's grace alone, through faith. In other words, God always comes down. It is our greatest gift, and yet so often we still try so hard to work our way up to God. Knowingly or unknowingly, consciously or unconsciously, we think and act as if our faith were a game of shoots and ladders. Do you remember shoots and ladders? Did you ever play that game growing up or play it with kids? The game is played on this board that is divided into a hundred boxes, ten across and ten up. And the idea is to work your way from box number one at the bottom to box number 100 at the very top, where there is this blue ribbon that says winner on it. And in the course of the game, if you're fortunate enough to land on a ladder, you fast forward up the board toward the goal. However, if you are unlucky, you land at the top of a chute and you slide somewhere back down below. 
Now, if you look a little closer at the board, particularly the the early versions from the 1940s, the squares that take you up the ladder each have a picture of a child doing a good deed. And at the top of the ladder is a reward. For instance, if you mow the lawn, you get to go to the circus. If you eat your supper, you grow tall. And if you sweep up, you get to go to the movies. However, the squares that take you down the chutes are all depicted by a child doing something wrong. If you scribble on the wall, you slide down to cleaning that wall. If you break the mirror playing ball inside, you slide down to emptying your piggy bank to pay for it. If you sneak a cookie from the cookie jar, you slide down to falling down and breaking the jar. If you put a comic book inside your history book, or maybe now a phone, you slide down to sitting on a stool and wearing a dunce cap. Like a lot of games of its time, it was kind of a morality tale for kids. But what does this have to do with God? Let me share three experiences, three scenes, three examples to explain. The first is from the film Luther, uh, starring Joseph Fiennes, where there's an unforgettable scene where Martin Luther is visiting Rome in the year 1510. And all the churches and all the sacred shrines there, as a good pilgrim would have done in his day and as pilgrims still do to this day. And one of those sacred places was a huge set of stairs that one could climb to work off their sin or the sin of a deceased relative in order to spring them from purgatory into heaven. So Luther walks up to the stairs and pays the charge to walk them, and he walks up the stairs on his knees with everyone else, reciting the Lord's Prayer on every single step. Looking around, he sees hundreds of fellow pilgrims and one woman in particular crying through her prayers. She was obviously poor and probably couldn't afford the fee to the stairs. But as you can see in her face, she was desperately seeking to appease God for her sin. And so she looked tortured. She was trying to do what she could but it was never enough. Second, I've shared before about my time in the Pentecostal church when I was a teenager, and it was an important and formative time for me. It's where I first heard my call to ministry, but there were things in it that troubled me even as a teenager. For I saw for myself people living a real-life game of shoots and ladders. People's relationships with God were fraught with uncertainty, They gauge their relationship with God almost entirely by asking questions like, what did I do right today? And what did I do wrong? Did the good outweigh the bad or vice versa? If you did more good, you were closer to God. And if you did more bad, you were further away. And if you did more bad or just didn't go to church as much, didn't read your Bible enough for a longer period of time, that is what they would call backsliding. And backsliding was the worst. It was seen as falling away from God, and it was filled with judgment and shame about your faith and your spiritual life. We were encouraged to pursue perfection in faith, but of course, because we are human, people kept falling flat on their faces. And so faith became like a diet that you could never keep. While we talked a great deal about love This way of living the faith made God's unconditional love conditional 
on us, on our deeds and our decision to follow Jesus. I remember going back to that church after being in divinity school for a year or two, and one of the folks there asked me, are you still in love with the Lord? And it was a way of asking, are you keeping up with your faith? Do you still believe after going to godless Harvard for two years? And my answer was yes. But what I wish I had said was yes, but more importantly, God is still in love with me. Third, I remember one time sitting outside of a hospital room, talking to someone about their loved one who was critically ill. And the situation had brought this person to a crisis of faith. At this most critical point, they felt that their faith was fading, and they felt that God was fading away along with it. They felt that they were either letting God go or pushing God away with their doubt. And they asked me if this was so. And what came out of my mouth, thanks to the Holy Spirit, was that God's presence with us does not fluctuate with the relative strength or weakness of our faith. God's presence, God's faithfulness, rests solely on God's unfailing promise to be our God no matter what. God isn't there less when we believe less. God isn't there more when we believe more. God is God whether we decide or not, whether we do good works or not, whether we believe or not. God is God, no more and no less. God is loving and forgiving and full of grace, and God has decided to be our God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, which we are immersed in through our baptisms, God has claimed us as God's own, and nothing we can do or think or believe can change that. The point I'm trying to make is that the same thing that Luther saw in those women's eyes on the stairs and countless other believers in his time, we still see today in others and sometimes in ourselves. And it is insidious. It preys on our need to be in control, to keep the score, to know where we stand in relation to God and others. Most everybody believes that their faith is not strong enough. And you might look around this room and think, oh, that person has more faith than me. They know more about the Bible than I do. They've gone to church longer than me. They do more than me. We all harbor the same doubts. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Do I believe enough? Am I really going to heaven? Is my faith strong enough to see me through this? Even the seemingly strongest believers, all of us, have these thoughts. We are all in the same boat. And if it were up to us, we could never get there. We would never get to box 100, to the winner's circle, to God. We are bound to sin and we continually stumble over ourselves. If it were up to us, we'd find ourselves permanently stuck somewhere between boxes 20 and 37 on chutes and ladders. As Luther says in his pastor's prayer, if it were all up to me, I would have brought it all to ruin long ago. But the good news of the Reformation, which we remember today, is that it is not up to us. The good news is that God comes down 
In God's version of shoots and ladders, God comes down to us and carries us home. As Kelly Fryer says, God comes down to meet us when we are rich and when we are poor, when we are broken and when we are whole. God comes down to set us free from every single thing that binds us and burdens us and holds us back from being the people that we have been created and called to be. God comes down to set us free from sin and death and the power of evil. God comes down to set us free to love and to laugh and to learn and to give ourselves away. God came down in Jesus to live among us and went even further down, all the way down to death and back out in order to save us, to raise us up back with him. There's nothing that we can do that will make that any more or less effective. It is a complete work that God has done. There is no use keeping score when Jesus has already won. Rather, we cling to the cross and God's promises and faith, faith which is itself a gift from God. Finally, in his essay on the freedom of a Christian, Martin Luther writes this. He says, One thing and only one thing is necessary for Christian life, righteousness, and freedom. The one thing is the most holy word of God, the gospel of Christ. As Christ says, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If the soul has the word of God, it is rich and lacks nothing, since it is the word of life, truth, light, peace, righteousness, salvation, joy, liberty, wisdom, power, grace, glory, and of every incalculable blessing. That word, according to our gospel writer John, is Jesus. Jesus is our freedom, our freedom from the futility of sin, freedom from fear, freedom from uncertainty, Freedom from thinking that it all rests on us because it all rests on God. For God always comes down. God always comes down. And for that, on this Reformation Sunday, we say thanks be to God. Amen.